Welcome to the Microbial Secret Society, where David and I dive deep into the microbial realm and initiate you into the Microbial Secret Society. So enjoy our podcast. The first hour is always free, and the second hour is only available to members at microbialsecret.org. So thank you, and uh, let's begin. Aloha, welcome to another episode of the Microbial Secret Society. Yeah, welcome to the the show, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, so, uh, Dave, just before we started the show, David was talking to me and telling me he wanted to uh, get into some some topic that he had boiling over. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a little it's almost like meant to be shared in, in an hour or two, but I, I feel like we can maybe just like gently talk about it and maybe go more in in depth about it later but yeah last night i had this dream that i felt like i got abducted by aliens and they were doing this like surgery on me and it was like super vivid and i woke up and i like was in the dream and it felt real and i saw a mirror and i could see like my reflection of myself and typically in dreams like clocks and mirrors and those types of things during your astral travels don't necessarily like exist and it it was just kind of really startling so i don't know if you want to talk about yeah the correlation between microbes and like alien and then and then i was just like researching about like psychic surgeries and all these different like accounts and i don't know i i was a little maybe i got a little bit fear-based over it but when i told mandy about it she was like she was really like oh that's awesome like i wish that would happen to me and like all these types of things but I don't know. Well, I'm into it. I mean, that sounds like that's it's an episode of the macrobial yeah. <laughs> secret society of the aliens and extraterrestrials, but largely the the microbes that are in the soil that are just as mysterious. So, under I, I always am in a, a proponent of as above, so below. So, like studying bigger systems and seeing how they relate to micro systems may happen. And if you think about it, in a certain degree, when we're making a seed IMO collection mm-hmm. and we're going and putting out rice or some sort of starch and then collecting it in essence we're abducting a whole society like a whole colony of microbes that has colonized that over a three to five day period which is about a thousand two thousand years in their time scale and then we're abducting them and then putting them into this carbon uh, you know stasis of the 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 sugar as a preserved seed imo so i i see many parallels i mean just to kind of start this off with a thread of relating it to the secret society as kind of a a tangent expose but i i would love to hear about your your trippy uh your trippy dream here you'd like to hear about it yeah i mean it was just yeah i don't know i fell asleep and i i felt like during the dream that they were doing this like type of like surgery and stuff on me like on on my teeth and like my neck and like my brain and stuff and i remember like looking in the mirror and then like seeing like these like different almost like mineral elements rocks in like each of the teeth and they were almost like pyramids and they're like in the teeth, they're like pyramids on, and that's what I saw. And then it just felt like I was like, they would do all these things and like, yeah, like almost like a, like do things like on the body, like, like a surgery almost like taking things out, putting things in, like, you don't really know what's kind of going on. And then I felt like I was almost like put into like a simulator and then I would like endure like some sort of like experience in a different realm. And then they would, it would like happen again. They would like put more of those like metal teeth in and all that stuff. And then I don't know. And then eventually like, I just like went after I saw myself, I felt like I was like, I woke up and then I like woke up and I, I felt like kind of normal. Like I, my body wasn't in pain or stuff, but during the dream, it felt really painful. Like I was experiencing like tremendous like physical pain, which isn't typical during like a dream 
that I've experienced. So it was just kind of wild. So, so how how do you know this was like aliens abducting? I, I, I don't. I don't know that to be true. It's just speculation. Cause it so, sounds to me like you had this dream of uh, where your body was being assembled and disassembled and reassembled, almost like a, a prototype to try different parts and then to put your body into like this simulator, which maybe is this um, this human reality. Like who, who knows how real it is? But they're like prototyping your body and somehow your consciousness is remembering multiple iterations of this uh, evolution process and like upgrades to you. It's interesting that you think about like pyramids in your teeth. How, how did you see that? How did I see it? Yeah, like your teeth are teeth, but how, how did you see the pyramids in there you were talking about? It was, they weren't like, they, they were teeth, like, like in the teeth spot. But they were like pyramids and they were cut perfectly and symmetrically. And they were, it was just like, instead of having like where teeth would be, it would be like a bunch of like pyramids that were like different colors and like, like, I don't know, not like, like bright colors, more like metally kind of colors with shine, different shines to them. So, so the way you were seeing your body was not necessarily in your human form. No, it was, it was like my human form with those things, like instead of teeth. With like upgrades, <laughs> kind of like like you know like like a different like cyborg part replacement. Mm-hmm. Huh. I wonder if that yeah that I wonder what teeth represent in terms of the dream realm and like seeing pyramids there. And so which which part of your body was the pain in during the dream? Where was the pain? I feel like in my mouth and in like my whole like upper region like my neck and my head and stuff oops <laughs> i'm gonna watch out of that table there man uh, huh so pain in your upper body your teeth like where they were operating where they were changing things was yeah and if you were to interpret this dream not as like a, a cyborg being upgraded you know, like as if as if this was like a waking dream, like a reality that you somehow saw this bigger thing, but you were to interpret it more in terms of a symbol, like being a representation of things. What do you feel like this dream was trying to tell you in your life? To maybe be more mindful of like the aspects that you can like choose to improve upon and like maybe not directly relating it to like physical but like emotional spiritual all these different aspects of oneself being able to like try maybe try something new and you know like allow i feel like there's a big surrendering process because it was like this thing that i felt like i didn't want to happen Mm. during it for some reason Mm. so maybe like learning to let go of those things that you can't play control and I don't know. It's definitely kind of interesting to say the least, but yeah. Yeah. I, so last, last few nights I felt like I haven't slept that well. I, I feel like I, I go to sleep, but then like when I wake up, it's like, Oh, was I sleeping? And I have this like, uh, empty, type feeling like as if as if like the cartridge wasn't put back in or something uh to like like during my night's sleep like a recharge almost like if you're equating to like like a peaceful rest is like a recharge like you're waking up the next day with like all this energy and all this mana and then you're maybe you're feeling like that battery wasn't charged when you woke up and you're like did i even did my batteries get recharged did i even rest or sleep Sort of, sort of, yeah. I, I'm fe- feeling that way, but it, but it's more of like a tangible feeling of when I'm first waking up, when I'm like between dream and waking up. You know, I'm like right, right before the sun's rising or as the sun's rising, I'm kind of waking up and uh, I feel this like like clutching my pillow type of feeling and feeling that like the pillow feels like empty. You know, you know, and it's only like a dream state that you can have these type of feelings about objects and how like clutching you know like like if you were like you know like 
like versus sometimes I'll wake most times I wake up in the morning and I feel like my bed is like supporting me mm. and I'm like on there and my pillows supporting me and the sheets are around me in a way that like has bundled me and kept me warm and I've had like a nice like peaceful restful night's sleep but these last couple mornings I've been waking up clutching the the pillow and feeling like it was like empty like as if I was um you know like my bed wasn't there supporting me under and the sheets are like you know thin and like cold is seeping through them kind of thing you know just like this feeling of like not waking up with this like and I felt like it, it wasn't that feeling that happens there is not just like you know those physical conditions but it's like a feeling that's transitioned from whatever dream i was previously having to this mm. like sort of like maybe some some like struggle type of thing in my dream and then coming at right as i'm waking up i'm feeling like this like oh it was unfulfilled like i didn't make it like oh, i didn't you know something it wasn't doing something right or like this this it, you know and so so i've been waking up with that feeling not not that I've had alien surgery <laughs> happening to me at night, but but a more um, unsettling thing. And mm-hmm. you know, I got you know got a lot on my plate lately. You got a lot on your plate lately. Moving, you feel like you're moving like full speed ahead with natural farming and what that all means for the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully people appreciated the last episode and you said you checked it out a little bit. Yeah. But as just, you know, you hear me kind of get into like a, a tangent, like talking for a whole hour of just like wanting to see the world be a better place and trying to figure out how that mirrors over this other world of, you know, how you know, systems that are, that are kind of non-functional or, or so far from nature. Mm-hmm. They're so man-made that, that they don't overlay onto nature very well anymore. Like, like for instance, our, our political system where it's so man-made, we have laws about this and that and this and that. And we have, you know, but it doesn't account for nature anymore of like, you know, universal health care for all. Well, nature doesn't necessarily give you health care. It doesn't necessarily, you know, your health care is eating good food. And so we make these man laws, these mandates of laws, and it doesn't represent nature anymore. And so that that struggle of, of bridging these worlds is kind of the, you know, been talking about natural farming, but how do we realign our culture back to not the man-made laws but the natural ways of living and natural law so like how to align ourselves with the laws and the principles of nature and what we can observe from it and becoming in tune with that on a on a bigger scale yeah yeah and i mean in in, in just simply um spreading more microbes like i've been in a lot of this last couple of weeks since I, you know, since I've been back from DC, I've been sprayed my garden about four times and got the tractor sprayer going and just, um, taking care of the farm. And, um, yeah, I was thinking about getting my car sprayer going again. Oh, right on. And just spraying the roadsides and on its simplest level, just like taking direct action to, increase and enhance our microbiome and maybe i've been yeah, I, f- I feel like maybe i've been slacking on that a bit like i could be super gung-ho and go but you know I Ching talks about the persistent energy towards a goal mm-hmm. and my goal is really to inspire people like constantly like doing this show inspiring people to restore the microbiome become conscious and aware of it and assist and enhance it and so that yeah that's well I, I feel inspired by your your visit here today of things that i maybe view as overwhelming or huge obstacles or things that i know i need to do but yeah giving words of encouragement of how to how to do those and become more like gung-ho and more yeah in into what you know the life that we're co-creating what we choose to spend our day with and stuff yeah 
Well, so so today we're here at David's place, and he just uh, got this sweet piece of land in Hawaiian Acres, and um, he he invited me over here to record the podcast today, and uh, we just he gave me a little tour as soon as I got here, and um, even forgot my coffee down in his cave, but that's okay. Um, but what I noticed is that I came over here. And I immediately had some observations and some suggestions like, oh, do this, do that. And in each of these do this, do that, that was like five days of work, like 600 man hours or like, you know, you know, these tasks that I was just saying, oh, yeah, just simply do this, do that. Right. <laughs> and and I know that and I can and being here with my experience, I can make some good suggestions, which were to move the big rocks out of the field while you can see them stack them in one area um also sow a cover crop right now because the weeds haven't come in too thick and if you get a good beneficial cover crop down your whole ecosystem will thrive better than just random weeds Mm -hmm. which that's okay but you know balance that and um and and so those couple tasks there alone and, and you know spraying the area and then every place that's ponding which there's a few areas on this land that, that water ponds to plant water-loving plants and then use those to chop and drop on your other crops because they'll grow so fast with so much water and nutrients. Mm. But those are my suggestions, but those are all like, you know, many man-hour projects, um, bringing more mulch in here. Um, and so what I what I wanted to get to with all that and those suggestions is that it's so easy for me to come over here as like a consultant or as like a friend or something and to say these things, mm-hmm. but to actually put them into practice. Like my friend Joel came over to my farm the other day and I have a pathway through the valley over towards the chickens and you cross over that barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. How many times have you climbed that? At least like 50 times, maybe a hundred. I don't know, a lot. <laughs> More times than is should be before we build some sort of thing to go over that, right? Or like a, a like a little entry or something, like a gate or Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I climb over this fence every day at least two, three times, maybe like, you know. Um and Joel was there and he's like, you know, you can just build an A frame over this and, and it would save me how much time and energy and effort, like you probably wasted like an hour of your life climbing this gate in the, in the two months you were there, <laughs> like, or however, you know, like, so, so what I'm saying is like, I come over here easy for me to make a suggestion, like pick up all these rocks. Joel comes to my place, easy to make a suggestion, like, you know, just build an A-frame. But as a land tenure person, you're so busy with just like the maintenance of doing this, doing that, and the upkeep, that it's hard to continue to, like, you know, spend, like, I should make an A-frame over that. It would save me time and energy and money. But finding the time to fit all that in the day and have enough energy to, like, do it all, it's, man, it's, uh, there's so much on a farm. Try, you know, like, if, as a, as a person in a city, you kind of you go to work and you do that grind but then you're you're just grabbing food someplace which you know is expensive and you got to hustle but then you're not having to spend time upkeeping your lawn or like keeping trees from being swallowed or worrying about animals breaking out or in or all these other things that as as farmers we have so here making suggestions but really what should and could be done is getting together with the farmers union and strengthening our community relations Mm. because a project like that to clear the boulders out of your field is going to take you a long time just because it's boring by yourself it's hard you know unless you really set yourself to it you're probably not going to do it before the weeds swallow those things but if you had a team of people that came over 10 15 people with the right equipment that could be done in an hour, maybe, maybe three hours. Yeah. Many, many hands make light work. So 
yeah, building more community and realizing that, yeah, these projects on farms and stuff can take a lot of energy and effort by one person, but can be really much more easy, easy with, with others. Yeah. Well, even, even seeing the, seeing the problem or seeing the, the opportunity is one thing doing it is a whole nother. Yeah. Putting it into action requires a whole nother, whole nother consciousness to to put it in but i i mean i i like the rocks i really love rocks so we'll see we'll see but yeah i i want to move them i i just didn't know if like it made more sense to just leave them but in the sense that if you just if you left them and you sprayed them enough and drenched them that maybe they would turn into soil but but i definitely agree for ease of like traveling in the orchard and stuff and getting a truck back through there that you don't want to be running over gigantic rocks so definitely need, need to centralize them but once they get centralized that whole maybe all the rocks can get turned into soil at, at a centralized location but yeah yeah centralize them and then spray that and then they'll break down into an amazing soil thing happening yeah because like even though i almost break down rock those are big boulders they're, they're gonna be there for at least you know 10 15 years yeah they'll be there for a little bit so you're probably gonna want to run a machine through there in that time or run through the field you know like imagine you could just run through the field with mm. your with your children you know just running through there playing with them if there's boulders it's like oh bro yeah yeah so being able to yeah i feel like if i can move the rocks and then cover crop and then mulch and then like maybe like introduce like mound tech pile tech pile tech tech. and yeah create piles and then spray around them and plant like different perennials and things that will do well in an orchard and then just have it kind of grow more sounds good to me you seem like so like you're, you're like saying it like as if you're like asking a question but Sounds like you should have confidence in that. So yeah, more confidence in, in it. Yeah, it's just it's just a lot. I mean, you know, but you know, just making it happen. Like that's that's what I'm trying to do with my farm right now. Is I'm I'm still I'm getting closer to getting a dump trailer, and I felt good today. I drove out here my F one fifty, and the back is like fully loaded. I got two bags of wood chips or wood shavings from my friend Arthur. And then I filled the whole back with 800 pounds of papaya. So I got it fully loaded. But what I, what I want to do is get a dump trailer. And every time I'm going around, just be able to fill that thing with, you know, wood or rocks or some sort of material branches, coconuts, just roll up to someplace and people that are unwanted of that just load it in drive to my place and just dump it so that you know my whole banana patch can just have like mounds of in in, in pile tech but of of um you know lumber or wood that someone cut down or you know and just mound that stuff up but strategically so that i can get my machine on like roadways mm. and yeah so strategically placing your mounds so you can access them easily yeah but but same thing would be super effect effective here and it's just a matter of like you know trailer on your truck because you're driving back and forth and every time bringing some sort of material it's just like you know and if you could pull into your spot drive up that driveway and just unload your dump trailer just boom like i don't know that's the farmer's ideal yeah nice little spot to... and i say you but it's me that's my that's my vision i don't want to impress that upon you yeah you can not, you don't have to get a dump trailer <laughs> but i just want to make life easy unloading the back of a truck is like oh man mm. so i just want to be able to push a button and dump it and use gravity yeah that makes it especially for like mulch and stuff i mean anything really but you can fill that up in, in hilo they offer it in Waikoloa with it's like unlimited mulch 
Yeah. Whereas Hilo, there's they put limits on them. Yeah, but then just driving the mulch from Waikolo over here is not necessarily worth it. They they do move like a bunch of magnet mulch from Kau to Hilo, but that's only because the trucks would be running back empty. So like any mulch moving service, you'd have to find one where you're you're, you're going moving a product one way and you're coming back empty. And now you got to market to like bring that mulch back. So if you're delivering your all your fruits that are off the hook, you know, hold semi truck to Waikoloa to the hotels and then bringing back all that mulch. Yeah, that'd be really beneficial to, yeah, make the trip worthwhile to have a delivery out and then a delivery in. I mean, I was thinking they could also just like deliver it. They, they, what if they're in Waikoloa and they come? They pick up the mulch, they deliver it, and then they fill up in Hilo, and then they go back. Fill up in Hilo with what? Mulch. You're just driving mulch back across <laughs> the island. I don't know. But yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, someone brought mulch here, and they got it from Waikoloa, so that's how. I was maybe like, maybe they're going already, mm-hmm. or they're just paid for it because who know who knows i mean it just seems like towing mulch like a decent sized load is probably at least you know so fifty dollars in fuel so what's the solution because that's not sustainable at all i mean it's like a cheat code almost because it really helps if you have a bunch of mulch but like grow like growing mulch or so the other the other thing that's happening in david's orchard is there's albizia popping up which is notorious in Puna because I believe they used to fly airplanes over and throw Albizia seed out here uh, t- just to, I don't know, they were, that's what they did back in the day. Um, <laughs> and um, so there's Albizia seed everywhere because it grows out here, but it's known as a widow maker tree so that when it grows up big, branches just fall randomly. And when those hit you, they kill you. That's why, you know, they call it a widow maker, just like kills people. So the whole key to those trees is to keep them short and manageable. So you're not creating a hazard because Albizia will grow up a hundred feet out here. No problem. And then now that's a big hazard because it's going to drop branches and break things and fall on your house. And But it's very well suited to grow out here. It grows really fast. It's a nitrogen fixer. The leaves are amazing. You can make all kinds of stick mulch with it and growing a lot. So you can chop it with a machete or a, you know, a little chainsaw, go right through it. That, you know, that's your nitrogen fixing albizia already wild sprouting in your area. And it's just a matter of keeping those trees manageable Mm -hmm. and encouraging them and, yeah, that's already it. In, and then you have the Vive too, which uh, you were talking about chopping it and then laying it down and making like a, a tatami mat of Vive, which <laughs> I think they're going to re-sprout. And I don't know. I mean, go for it if you want to spend that kind of time and energy at it. But, you know, do, do you have a chainsaw? No, not yet. Do you know how to sharpen a chainsaw? No. So there's a lot there's a lot to there's get between gap. where you're at and what like solutions to like mm-hmm. implement. And that's the challenge of farming is not only like, okay, so you got to know how to grow the tree. Now you got to learn how to sharpen a chainsaw. Now you got to run, learn how to fix a small two stroke engine when you're, you know, and learn how to choke it, learn how to like prime all, you know, a whole chainsaw operation, safety. Then you got to get ear protection, eye protection, face protection, hopefully chaps so you don't cut yourself. And like a whole, just to like cut down trees, now you're in $600, $800 to get that equipment to be able to do it. And now you're the mechanic. Now you got to repair it. Now you got to store it someplace. And so that's like one solution to expedite that. Or you could hire somebody or these other things, but as a farmer that's how my costs like super escalate yeah i mean for the guava i I use like a nice little like skill saw 
I mean, a chainsaw would be way more quicker, like faster, more efficient and stuff. But I mean, for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. No, maybe a battery powered skill saw is the way to do it. And it's like that other stuff would be overkill. I, I don't know. But I'm, but I don't think it's overkill because I mean, here on the land, there's lots of ohias and older ones. And there's some that, you know, are, would appear to be dead. So for four, like you could either try to like spray them and see if they'll regrow and stuff. But just if you wanted to utilize some of the, the fallen, like the tree before it falls, you know, it's good building material would too. But yeah. So harvesting the lumber with that. So in the spots of the forest where it needs it, you know, not like intentionally cutting down like a, like a thriving ancient living ohia tree, but one that, you know, yeah yeah no, i i get that i mean and that's and that's the thing about owning stuff having a thing is all the you gotta pick your your right equipment to your right place to your right tasks to build the fertility here in the mm-hmm. most economic biological you know easy way so yeah i it's uh I've been been doing it for a few years now, just like trying to manage a whole small family farm. And man, the good news I want to talk about is food hubs. Food hubs. Yeah. What so, what is a food hub? Well, it could be a, it could be a number of things, right? like to me to me food is like stuff you shove in your in your mouth that somehow you know it tastes good and it's it has various qualities to it that's that's food (laughs) and a hub is something where multiple things come together like the hub of a wheel is like the center it's where all the spokes come in um like so so putting those two together um what I what you end up with is this place where people put stuff in their mouth or or interchange stuff to put in their mouth. <laughs> Just kind of interesting way of describing it. But um but one of the things that we've been doing with Farmers Union is that food hubs are now a priority. Food hubs are now a priority, so a place where people are able to get local food from a variety of people at a central location. Right. Right. Which, so, so these things to it, to a degree, these things already exist like the local vore store, Mm -hmm. right? It's like a retail opportunity where you're going in and you're, you can sell produce to them and then people come by and they buy produce. Yeah. And another is like Island naturals where where you would go in there or and there's produce there or there's there's stuff to buy there mm-hmm. but largely a lot of that stuff there is from out, outside yeah not local or you can go to the farmers market mm-hmm. and that has um food there and the Hilo Farmers Market is one example of like a thriving market for like over 30 years. The thing is just like banging under those tents. Um, but largely some of that produce isn't necessarily from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Or if it is from Hawaii, it's from like a package distributor or something. It's not like th- those farmers there. It's not necessarily farmers selling there their produce there it's more like at least from my experience it's it's more like someone else is selling someone else's fruit that they weren't the farmer and the farmer it's off island or yeah well it's it's like each farmer grows some stuff but then they all have like tomatoes they all have onions they all have garlic it's like how the heck did they all have that it's not like they each grew that Mm -hmm. they're buying it from somebody and then kind of reselling it there and that if your stand has everything possible, it's more opportunity for your stand to capture more dollars. So they're not necessarily focusing on this idea of, you know, 
what you sell at your booth is from your farm. You know, it's it's just via the marketers and how, how it works. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those things exist. Those are all existing solutions. But I find in my case, I'm still somewhat frustrated with my food availability. I would say, I'm, yeah, availability. And then also maybe, I think the price, it's like for what we call food and like what we're paying for and what like you receive, you know, it, it just, it's expensive. So where do you get most of your food right now? I'd say most of my food comes from the farmer's market, like a local farmers that supply to the Natch, um, like directly, and then the, the Natch and then friends and stuff that, that grow food. And then obviously growing, trying to grow more food here. So, mm-hmm. but nowhere near close to where I want to be in terms of eating sustainably where I'm living right in this present moment yeah yeah so in and in my case i i I eat a lot of food from my own land Mm -hmm. um and then some comes from farmer's market where i I go to the hakalau farmer's market try to support those the local farmers in my region Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's a down-home market almost everyone there is selling their own stuff there's no resellers i mean there's there's people who prepare food so it's not like they grew it all but you know but it's it's very it's of a local market. It's very local, um, and um, yeah. And then I eat out. I'm, you know, I love going to Lucy's. <laughs> yeah, what's up? Uh, and um, but I I don't eat out that often. But oh, I just hit up Kamana Kitchen the other day. Oh. The royal platter, <laughs> unreal. Um, but. What I what I'm frustrated with in my food situation is I have feast and famine and or like so much abundance that I have a hard time moving it in a way where I can realize the value of it. Meaning that for for me when I'll harvest a rack of bananas. And I'll have so many bananas, so many hands on there that I can only eat maybe like two hands. So I can maybe eat like 24 to 50 bananas off maybe like 200 to, you know, I don't, I don't know. In like, what, a week? Yeah, like I, I can only eat like maybe like a quarter of what comes in with bananas. And I could freeze them or I could dehydrate them in, in more ways. But right now I have such a stream coming in that I pretty much always have ripe bananas. But what happens to me is then I have the, the other three quarters of the rack that I either feed to my pigs or I make fermented plant juice, green, green juice from heaven, and, um, or, I, or I make vinegar, or sometimes, sometimes they just get composted, which is probably my least favorite way to get rid of beautiful fruit. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I also sell it at the market, and I also give it away to people. Um, so I so I move through a lot of it, but what I would like is to be able to take that rack of bananas, to cut off two hands for myself, to cut the rest into hands, bring that down to my food hub, deposit those bananas there, get credit somehow. Receive a bitcoin. <laughs> or yeah, 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 whatever. Get credit somehow. Yeah. Then be able to pick up some other stuff and and you know and and if to me to me the food hub is driven around farmers and it's driven around this idea that if i have food like i when when i harvest you know anything you have like if your jabodi kaba tree goes off you know and you're you're loaded with these things or or you go out and you harvest your taro you're going to harvest way more corms and you can eat at one time. And, you know, unless you balance it out and you, you really plan well. But if you do that, then you're going to starve because if you're just growing enough, something's going to happen. you got to grow more than you need. And, and then that more than you need should be able to be some value coming back to sustain you. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I see with this food hub is like a way where it's like almost like a grocery store. 
except for it's almost like a you pick like you you grab your own but what i what i want to do with this is have it so when i bring down my thing of bananas i can um check it into like a computerized storage system and then it the store knows okay now we got this many more pounds of bananas and then i want to go on to the the internet and be able to order from the inventory that they have of what i want and then when i come down to drop off the bananas my box of food is ready like the 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 food that like you would have ordered from the hub yeah so Matt, it's like a it's a little bit more sophisticated of a store in terms of we don't have this today it's almost like a, a like a drive through csa well, food just, hub it just be like in real time you would know by like if there was some sort of verification when the produce was dropped off and then that's verified somehow and then it's uploaded onto a system where it's just transparent from the other user's perspective and then they order one or whatever and then then that deducts like how much is available and then the order is packed up at a certain time like once maybe the order's placed then it's packed up and boxed and yeah so so more more than like a store where you walk in and you have like a bunch of like shelves and stuff it's almost more like a warehouse so the only interface you have to shopping at the store is through an app and the like the way to get pickup is just like you just drive up but what is that the is that the customer experience though? Like, does that how people like a part of the food is like a part of the process, right? So there's like a, a fun aspect to like going out to eat, enjoying that atmosphere or like going to a farm and getting the, receiving the food or, or even going into a store and going down the different aisles and checking out. There's like a, there's a whole experience there. And then what you're describing is like you pull up to this warehouse and then you just get this box of food and then that's it. So I, I think it's a good idea, but I'm just saying it might change the customer experience a little bit. And like, what does that mean in terms of? Well, here, yeah, yeah, I totally hear you. And there's different experience. This is a good thing to to overview. That's kind of why I wanted to open up this idea. I know you're you're skilled at this. So, what my use case that I'm thinking of here is that people are often leaving Hilo to go to Hamakua for for some reason. Maybe they live out out along the coast. You know, lots of people live out there. Um, and what I can imagine is that this would be those, those folks. So what you, what you could do is you could, um, like, 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 like I can just imagine my mom's friend or my, my friend, uh, Amy, who, who works in town and lives out in, um, uh, uh, Pepe, or no, Pauka. like I, uh, well, Okay. Anyway, she lives out out along the coast, about twenty miles out, and I can imagine her being able to, instead of having to go to the farmers market or go to the grocery store pick something up, she could just say, like, these are the orders I want to make. Hit, you know, and then as she's driving home that day, it's just like you pull in and and get it loaded into your car, and then you just continue going, like, and and to have this thing like. The, f- the first one in Papaiko town specifically, like which, which is where I, I am, but there's also a few farmers in the region that are natural farmers that I think could supply the co-op, but then also benefit or, or, or the, the food hub, but also benefit from it. Mm. So like part, part of your market is selling to like the eaters, people that are just going to eat food. And, but the other part is to really service your farmers and to give them like a way to move product, like like a CSA, but but not just one um, farm being the CSA, mm-hmm. but many farms in the region being part of your your community supported agriculture, which is what CSA stands for. So what what's in the near future of like this coming into fruition through the farmers union and. Well, so one of our goals for Farmers Union, is there's three of them, and 
food hubs is one of those three. So it's a it's a not only it's a legislative priority, but it's also our statewide strategy. Is to we ha- we have three food hubs in operation already. There's there's one in um, Waianae. There's one in North Kohala, and there's also one in South Kona or well in Kona. Hmm. South Kona, maybe. I haven't been there. But yeah, it's in South Kona, I think. So those three are in operation around the state. There's a few more, like Maui is getting a few together. Um, and they they operate in different ways. But but the idea is, is again, it's kind of like this hub. It's like the spoke of bringing f- local food together. Mm-hmm. And not to compete against farmers markets or anything. It's it's a different, uh, in my mind, it's a different experience, and it's to benefit really the farmer. But you, as an eater, get to eat some of the best like produce. Well, is there any like restrictions on it? Can any kind farmer sell to this hub? Like, what are the rules? Who enforces it? Like. Who makes these guidelines and parameters? Like how, like how can you tell? Like how can, like how can you differentiate just besides taste of the the food to know like one was naturally farmed versus one that was chemically farmed or whatever? Like if you just brought like a hand of bananas from your farm and then a hand of bananas from like a dole or whatever, but. No, no, there's, there's no, there's no restriction on the way you farm it or how you farm it. Okay. The farmers union supports family farming and regenerative agriculture, but those aren't mandatory. Those are just like su- suggestions. Like we, we suggest that you, you know, have family farms because we want to grow families and we suggest you re- regenerate the earth because if we're not, we're going towards depletion, mm-hmm. but, you, but you don't have to. And, and there's no judgment on either way of like, you know, every family has its issues and every soil farmer has, you know, times of regeneration and times of degradation, right? Just through the seasons. So there's no like, you know, dogmatic bias to that or how you're growing the food. I think one of the things that could be done is to highlight the farmer. So part of the app, as you're shopping through the store, you see that some of the data that I've done with who grew. Mm-hmm. We know who grew this and how they did it, and they can tell their story. Um, and I think that's a big appeal to that. Um, and then just as policy, we wouldn't accept food that we know is not, you know, grown here. Like it's, you know, farmers union, you have to be in the union. And if you're just bringing us deliveries of stuff that you just bought some, you know, like it's it's pretty obvious, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so just as a policy to be like, this is the purpose of it. Um, and And then... And then also the, the other the other purpose of it is, you know, I, I said my, my mom's friend, Amy, or my, my friend, Amy. Yeah. Watch, she's going to listen to the episode. And be like, yeah, she's not my friend. Anyway. <laughs> um, then she's going to be like, I made her, made her voice weird. Anyway. Um, but I think she has some citrus growing at her house. And there's also some other things she has growing in her garden. I think she's growing tomatoes or she was at one point growing some things. And if she has too much of something, you can always like exchange that. Like that, that's, that's what I want to get more into is, is, you know, I went off this use case of like somebody pulling in and buying food and leaving. But really what it's about is like I, the, the problem that I wanted to solve was my bananas. I have too many. I want to bring those in. You want some sort of value for them. Yeah, and all kinds of people have all kinds of abundance all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's a way that you can, instead of go showing up with just money, you show up with like, you know, a, a bin, like a whole truck full of rambutan. But the, but then it's like, do you, do you get money or do you get like a credit or this like new token or this like this this arbitrary like value of like that you get this many tokens for a rambutan and this many tokens for an orange or whatever it is based on how many pounds but then like if the people can't move it like you know what so so what i see that's that's a good point it's a good point what i see it the food hub acting as more is a consignment 
place. So if I bring in that much rambutan and in, in, in this package or in this form, like like the food hub itself could do some washing and packing type of stuff, but that would have you know its own uh, fee associated with it to keep it going. But if I, if I bring in like you know a, a, a like a, a truck full of rambutan, I say I want to sell this for five dollars a pound. Mm-hmm. And then that money, like some percentage of that goes to the food hub to maintain its operations and to keep it going. Um, and then if the the basic agreement, I think from my perspective, which could be worked out in different ways, what would be if you're going to drop this off here, we're going to take it, we'll sell it at your price that you want and with, with our fee built in. And then if we end up with it where it rots, you're making a donation to the farmer's union. And then part of the food hub perhaps would be like a composting or a, you know, a, a system to get those nutrients back to farmers mm-hmm. if, if we don't end up selling them. Yeah, because that, what comes up is it's like I feel like the problem is like how do I share this abundance in a way that I... It also like I'm able to create value to then exchange, but then how do you, yeah, how do you not get into the situation where it's just composting, you know, and rotting away, which is okay, but it's not the most ideal case for fresh fruit. Um, and then it's like almost like are the would the farmers be putting the responsibility to like to make sure it doesn't rot like on onto the hub, or is that like I, I don't know? It's just like. See, so I think I think that's that's one of the crucial questions to answer, but I but the way I answer it, the way I like to say it is like, you know, y- you as the grower, you as the farmer, get to set your price. So if you want to sell your bananas for like fifty dollars a pound, go for it, and and we'll list it on here, and we'll say this is David's bananas for fifty dollars a pound, and if those people recognize the quality and they want to buy it at fifty dollars a pound and they fly off the shelf. Because it's free market, awesome. Hmm. Most likely, if you list it at fifty dollars a pound and you sign the agreement that says either you're going to come back and pick them up by a certain date, or you're gonna we're gonna take as it a donation to us. What um, you know, and will you know reasonable value mark re, you know it, a donation, and then we'll make it into nutrients, and then eat, you know pigs other people compost some way of getting ferments whatever some some sort of disposal policy that makes sense mm-hmm. and then that that agreement is there so so you as the farmer if you come in and you say well you know i just want to sell my bananas for a dollar a pound and they fly off the shelf then you and all those dollars went there you know you make more money so so does that does that make sense? Like you as the farmer, you get to set your price, even though we're hosting it for you, and then maybe there's some percentage known fee on there. Yeah, it's just I guess it's a little bit different than maybe how a typical grocery store would work for some things at least. Because I know like a taro farmer in Pahoa, he'll just sell the taro for a price per pound. And they'll just, he'll get that right then and there because maybe the, and then the grocery store is taking on the responsibility of like, um, if it goes bad, but maybe they have data or observations where they know that it will go quick. And, and, and they do. And that, and that's why the grocery store buys it from him for cheap. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, we'll give you $2 a pound for this. Yeah. When it should be like five or 10, but they sell they're for, taking the risk and then they're making, you know. Yeah. They sell it for four ninety nine a pound. And I think. They they buy it for like one ninety nine or two two ninety nine like not I don't know I think high quality tarot is like really nice so 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 they're doubling the price though yeah. so think of that and then if the food hub was only taking like five ten percent even twenty five he might be yeah if he was just selling it to the hub he he might be just, able to sell it for you know same five dollars or at least a middle ground but I mean it just shows that he's willing to. I don't know because maybe I don't know what that's worth of that like responsibility of like, well, you know, I know that the natch, there's this many people that are going through there every day. Whereas like, you know, that you'd have to build up traffic. 
And it, and at first, at first, I think the way to do it is to have them localized, small food hubs. Like imagine there was one on Hawaiian Acres, right on like Eight Road, or or right on Nine Road, where where or you know that that middle road that comes in where everyone could pull up and there was like a food hub exchange, like a warehouse. That's not the best area; it floods right there. But imagine you know there was these warehouses where you could, you know, and ahead of time you could let them know, hey, I'm I'm gonna bring in bananas or this mm-hmm. this amount, and there was like this thing where it rewarded you for keeping better inventory so that way they could kind of help pre-sell and know how much food's coming through and when you first start you just have one in Papaiko but then all of a sudden now you start having a warehouse in Hilo and and a few in Hilo maybe two or three on each side of town where it's like okay the people from Waikia can bring their produce there and then that gets exchanged you know, because if I bring in a thousand pounds of limes to Papaiko, what are, who the hell is going to buy a thousand pounds of limes in that area unless they're going out to Hamakua in, in those ways? But you need to distribute that. So what happens is you start with just one food hub, but then multiple happen mm-hmm. and you start to get interchanges between. And now our food supply is starting to come from these regions where they'll be really productive it'll get exchanged and it'll go to these other regions and as you're bringing you know like just like we were talking about bringing the mulch from waikaloa over here now every time that truck's moving it's bringing like you know um um, guavas from this side over to get mangoes from that side Mm -hmm. and then it's coming back you know or avocados and you know um taro and sweet potato and now these trucks are moving between food hubs and also because we have the same app to buy the produce we know where all the food is distributed amongst things and use that same system to distribute it and so now you went from one food hub in one area to now linking multiple food hubs together and because these things are just warehouses you just you know palletize stuff move it app it just just like an amazon warehouse except for like you know refrigerated or taken care of in a way where it's you know can move it with forklifts and be really efficient and now you got a whole food system coming from right here and that could build into same like i said like um post-processing from that even where you say oh okay farmers union had so much tarot coming through the food hub network that now we got to make a flour mill to make taro flour. just Or the Ulu Co-op is one extension. And, and working with the Ulu Co-op to work with these food hubs. More co-ops, more things, more food hubs. Is that More farmers, more families, more... Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I, I, my, my, I end up with so much abundance extra that I, I want to be able to because i know everyone runs into that problem at different times mm-hmm. and if we start to share then we don't have times where you know we wish we had a bunch of food it's like everyone has abundance and starts to exchange then we have so much abundance now we're making ferments and flowers and pigs and chickens and all these things that can thrive on a working food system yeah so does that resonate yeah, definitely resonates. Um, yeah, I think it's a priority to build more community and food hubs and yeah, sharing abundance throughout. And yeah, I, I really hope that within the next like five months that there'll be a lot more food growing here. I think it's totally possible and doable. It's just a matter of action, but. Well, it's a matter of priorities action and then also equipment priorities action and equipment how are we doing right now we're about an hour in we're just about we're to about, i just want to is it encourage okay to, everybody to uh join into our second hour of the microbial secret society is, is there where we could take a pause for a so stream bait Hang on, we'll finish out our hour strong okay. and then we're gonna pause and get fresh right for our second second hour and um yes i um just 
before the free hour ends, I just want to shout out uh, Joe. Uh, he just emailed me the other day. Um, he so so we've been getting some fans here. Really? Yeah. So I'll, I'll make any sure. questions or anything. Uh, you know, questions. It's hard to say. Um, but yeah, people do reach out on the show, and I want to encourage you to reach out, especially to David, <laughs> and uh, you know, talk to him about all this stuff. Yeah, but here, here it is. I, pu- I pulled it up here. So he says he's in. Jo- uh, his name's Joe, and he's up in Alaska. Hey, and, Joe. Yeah, and um, he's wanting to do more Korean natural farming. And I uh, just want to encourage anybody who's interested. Today, there was a question in the natural farming group. Uh, Korean natural farming. Is there a natural farming podcast? And somebody besides me suggested the microbial secret. And then I, you know, I also suggested it (laughs) and I gave him the actual website, but he said, you know, it's just, it's pay to play. And I was like, no, no, no. The first hour is totally free. So I just want to encourage you and everybody out there listening right now to share the first hour, get it out, spread the microbial consciousness. And then if you so choose, join us for the second hour. Yeah, join us for the second hour for some microbial secret adventures and fun. Okay, so we're going to take a small break and we'll be back for the second hour. Right on. Aloha. Aloha. Well, that's it for our free episode. So join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode and join the Microbial Secret Society. So uh, may the beneficial microbes be with you. Aloha.